Well, if you've got a Bible, make your way to Mark chapter 11, Mark 11, 24. I had just a wonderful week this week. My grandchildren came to see me, and I might even have a picture here. I'll show you. I've got two. I've got a two-year-old and a two-month-old, and the two-year-old has finally warmed up to the two-month-old. At one time, he was ready for him to go bye-bye, but now he's, uh, he's glad he's there. We had a little fun thing, too. We, we went to get some ice cream on Thursday night, and uh, I want you to picture this little two-year-old eating ice cream. Every time mom would say, if you had enough, he'd say no. And uh, every time somebody else would try to get a bite, he'd say no. But I got to uh, look firsthand at what sugar does to a two-year-old. And after he'd eaten the bulk of that ice cream there, uh, I looked around. I was getting ready to go, and I looked around. He'd had his shirt off, and he was just running around the ice cream store. But he was having a big time. But anyway, great, great fun. Now the house is, is, uh, is, is uh, too empty and too quiet. They're back in Rogers, and my wife's in Mexico. So uh, I'll do okay with a dog and a couple cats for a while. Uh, Mark chapter 11 is where we're going. But I'm going to finish today a little mini-series we have been doing called Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in the world? Why are my prayers sometimes not answered? the way that I pray you know this why question has the capacity these three letters w-h-y to literally stifle or stop our Christian life it has the capacity to make us stop believing it has the capacity to make us stop trusting in the Lord it has the capacity to make us stop serving the Lord when there's a contradiction in our minds and this is kind of what I would like to do in this series to give you some biblical understanding for why bad things happen, why prayers aren't answered, but secondly, to provoke you to continue to believe God and have enduring faith when the, those uncertainties come. Uh, last week we talked about why prayers are not answered the way we pray when the Bible seems to so clearly teach that God answers prayer. Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It just sounds simple. It sounds straightforward. But how many know sometimes it's a little more complicated than that? Uh, last week, if you recall, we talked about some of these reasons why prayers are not answered. You remember we talked about spiritual warfare. That means that Satan is hindering us. You remember we talked about Daniel and how Satan uh, hindered his prayer. And actually, it was a demonic uh, presence. Uh, secondly, God wants to advance a kingdom purpose that's bigger than our request. In other words, Hannah's crying for a baby. You remember the story for years? But yet God wanted that child, Samuel, to be a priest in the house of the Lord. And she gave him to the Lord and then had five more kids. The third one was kind of the bad end of it. But we're asking well, the wrong thing with the wrong motive. This was our selfish side. Four was a big one, timing. God, the answer is not no, but it's not yet. Remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth waited for a long period of time as they prayed for a child but lastly, number five, God has something better for us. In other words, there's good, better, and best. You may think that good is all there is, but if you can trust God when he doesn't give the good, that he's got the better and the best coming. So that was kind of a warm-up. Today we'll finish this. We'll continue talking about the reasons why prayers are not answered. And the first I want to look at is, if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 5, some prayers are not answered because we're not praying God's will. Now, I think this is probably the most foundational part for all answered prayer. 
sometimes we think that we, God is there to just give us what we want. All I have to do is say the right words and God gives it to me, irrespective of what his thoughts are. But that's, that's not a biblical concept. I want you to think of prayer as this way. I want you to think of a railroad track. And one side of that track is stationed by God and the other is us. And God wants our life to be in parallel with him. I mean, no train tracks don't do that. Train tracks run like this. And, and that's a picture of us asking in God's will as we're following his purpose. First John chapter 5, here's a great promise. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according... See, when I do that, I have to do this every Sunday now, but when I do that, I want you to tell me what's coming next. Uh, if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. Now listen, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. I mean, it just that, that's a guarantee. It's a promise that gives us assurance and confidence. I would say it's a biblical guarantee that persistent prayers prayed in God's will are always answered in God's timing. Now let me say that again. Persistent prayers prayed in God's will are always answered in God's timing. I mean, it's just bottom line. But it, that's kind of a dilemma to me because I don't always know what God's will is. How many can say I'm with you on that one? Sometimes it's very clear. For example, one way I know God's will is clearly what the Bible teaches me. For example, if I'm praying for someone, and I'm praying for a, a, a man that I know, he's actually a neighbor, and I've been praying for him ever since I've lived in the neighborhood, He's never come to church. I don't, I don't know much about his, uh, his religious background, but he doesn't seem to convey that he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? I'm praying for him virtually every time I go in my yard. I pray for him, and I'm believing he's saved because, listen, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in 1 Timothy 2 that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So sometimes we know what God's will is because the Bible is very clear. There's no ambiguity. We don't have to stretch. But sometimes it's hard to know God's will. For example, when I got married, I could not find the name Linnell Canastracy in my Bible. I just, it wasn't there. I looked in the concordance. I couldn't find the word Linnell. Uh, I found Italians, the Italian cohort, but I, I, couldn't find, <laughs> I couldn't find Linnell's name. And that's a little bit humorous. But the point is, what do you do when the Bible's not ultimately clear? What do you do, for example, if you're thinking about moving? If you're thinking about changing jobs? If you're thinking about starting a business? Uh, it, it, it's not clear what God's will is. Well, I want to tell you something that I think is really helpful to you. It's this statement. The closer we get to God the more we know what his will is. For example, if you're, if you're sitting in the, the back of the sanctuary, you have no idea if I have on deodorant or you have no idea what my cologne smells like. But how many know if we brush by each other, how many know there could be a whiff of cologne? How many know a, a person's voice sounds different on a microphone far away or yelling at a football game than when you get close to them? And there's something about closeness. And here's what I want to tell you. You can get closer to God. And as you get close to him, you'll know his will. Now, I want to illustrate this. In John 15, Jesus said that I am the vine and you're the branches. And then he went on to say, and we'll read this in a moment. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
You'll ask what you will, and it'll be done for you. Now, you've heard the phrase, abiding in the vine. Let me show you this little picture. Again, Jesus is illustrating. He says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Now, the vine is this larger portion of wood. It looks kind of like the McDonald's arch there uh, uh, mid-screen and down. That's where the life is. The roots go. The vine goes to the roots, and the roots bring life. Well, the little branch is connected to the vine, and that branch is us. Well, if you know anything about pruning a plant, if you cut off that branch, what happens? It dies. It gets no life from the vine. But as long as it's close, as long as it's connected, and this is what Jesus meant, if you abide in me, if you stay connected in me, the life flow from your life, you'll know my I think, you'll know my thoughts. There'll be just a sense of peace. There'll be a sense of pause. You can literally know God's will as you walk through it, as you stay close to Jesus Christ. I have never made a big decision in my life without doing two things. Number one, or three things, drawing especially close to God, seeking the counsel of my wife, and seeking the counsel of those that are spiritual covering in my life. But the most important is staying close to God. And friends, if we know God's will, because here's the deal, prayer is not just begging God to give us what we want. Prayer is like that railroad track, knowing God's will. And praying God's will and his kingdom will come. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand for that. Now here's another one that we can do something about. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we lack faith. We'll talk about this. Jesus in Matthew 21, this was actually in our morning's Bible reading. By the way, if you don't have a regular pattern reading your Bible, I want to encourage you to do that. I have been a Christian 40-some years. I'm not perfect, but I've never backslidden. I walk with God but I think the big reason is because I read my Bible every day. And we've got a way to make it easy. Uh, you can download our church app, Church on the Rock, Texarkana, in the store, and it's got a place of reading the Bible. We read an Old Testament and New Testament passage every day. If you like the paper, I think it's in the back of your chair there, but you can pull it out, and we read the Bible together. And this will help you prep more than anything grow spiritually. But anyway, Matthew 21, Jesus is hungry. Verse 19, he sees a fig tree, and he goes up to the tree, but he found nothing on it except leaves. And then Jesus, this is odd, he said to the tree. He spoke to a tree, and he said, may you never bear fruit again. And the strangest thing happened. Immediately, the tree withered. In other words, the tree responded to Jesus, and you say, well, he was Jesus. I mean, that's understandable, right, but listen to what he says. The disciples were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And rather than answering it, Jesus said this, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not, so if you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Now, that's probably a metaphor, that mountain, probably not a literal mountain mover that you're going to become in your own personal excavation company. But what he's saying is there can be mountains in our life. There can be huge, big things in our life that God has the power to move, to level, to get out of the way if you will have faith. And then he underscores it in verse 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So there's something powerful about the place of faith. I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I pray prayers, and I don't know that I have a lot of faith. I'm just going through the rhythm. I wonder sometimes on Facebook, you know, oftentimes people will post and they'll ask you to pray, and before you know it, you see these pictures of these little hands appearing. 
I wonder if people are just posting pictures or I wonder if they're really praying. But there's something about the power that's released when we pray. You see, there's power. Faith, by definition, faith is simply a belief that God can and God will answer our prayer. But faith is more than a belief. Faith is a way of thinking. But here's what I want to focus on just a minute. Faith acts like the answer is coming. There is an expectation of faith that's in the head, but I want to encourage you, faith has action towards it. You see, when, when we express our faith, we'll oftentimes, if we're praying, we'll pray louder. You know, we'll hold someone hand, someone's hand tighter if they come up with a great crisis. You know, and, and those are certainly viable ways, but there's something I think that's more powerful. It's our actions of faith. Let me read a scripture. It's in Philemon uh, verse 22. Philemon is one chapter, and here's how he closes it. Paul writes the letter to this individual named Philemon, and here's what he says. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. I want you to prepare a room. I want you to do something. In other words, I want you to go ahead and change the sheets. I want you to go ahead, and if the mattress needs flipping, go ahead and flip the mattress. I want you to go ahead and do whatever needs doing, but I want you to get the room ready. I want you to cut some flowers and put them in there and make it ready for me because I'm planning on coming to you. But listen, he didn't have an airplane ticket. Now, I understand they didn't have planes in those days, but he didn't have it on his calendar. He didn't have it scheduled. But what he did have was a confidence that when people prayed and they would begin to act on those prayers, that God would move on their behalf. And this is what I want to encourage you, friends. Faith in prayer is more than just a passive experience. And I'll illustrate this before you. I, I'm a little reluctant. I should probably hold it a week, but I'm kind of excited about it, so I'm going to say it anyway. As we have been getting uh, bids for our new property, I have been praying and asking the Lord that he would uh, beat, the, beat the original bids that we got. We had some preliminary numbers come from contractors that we based our planning on, and these are the formal, you know, uh, the formal legal bids. And I was praying that, uh, that, uh, that these bids would be better than they, that they first came back. Because, listen, less money in construction, more money in furnishings, and less money in mortgage. And I felt the Lord prompt me to write a letter to the people that we were asking to bid. Not a letter begging them to give to the poor church, but a letter introducing them to us. Telling them what they're building. They're building a church that's doing missions around the world. They're building a church building that helps people in Texarkana. That's an incredible thing. Pastor Mike leads uh, five inner-city housing complexes every week during the school session, 200 children that are seeing people that go and love them and teach them about the Bible. And for some of them, it is the only church that they get. They don't go to church. They don't have spiritual influence. It's people that love them. At Christmas time, they bring them gifts. And we've had some of those moms tell us, it's the only Christmas my child gets. I want to tell you, those kind of things uh, 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 are part of the fabric of what we're doing. So we wrote, I wrote that letter to them, didn't beg them, but just asked them if they could sharpen their pencil, it might be something well that could impact many lives into the future. And we're starting to get bids back less than, than what we had originally anticipated. You know, Jason told me last Friday, one of our bids came back $35,000 less, than the, less than, the, than the other one had come back. So I'm not just saying that that's just because of the letter, but what I'm saying is we need to pray, we need to have faith, and we need to act. 
we need to do something because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So there's something that creates momentum. And I fear, as the Bible teaches us, that if we don't have this faith, oftentimes our prayer won't be answered. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. Now, the third one, this is the negative one, but it's real. I want to include it because there are consequences for our sin. And sometimes prayers are not answered because of our sin. It's a tragic story in the Bible, but nonetheless, it's real. What you're going to see is you're going to see the failure of a man who loved God. You're going to see God's forgiveness. You're going to see God's consequences, but then you're going to see restoration and God's blessing at the end. But look at the story. David is the man. David is described in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. But David made a mistake. David sinned. He committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. Then he starts lying and manipulating, and lo and behold, he kills his friend to cover it up. Well, how many know you can't ultimately hide and cover up your sin? Ultimately, it comes out. And if it doesn't come out to people, it comes out to God. Well, his sin was exposed, and I want you to Second Samuel 12, verse 13. David confessed to Nathan. After Nathan confronted him, Nathan was the prophet, and David said, I've sinned against the Lord, and something wonderful is said. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Well, I want to tell you, friends, there's no sin God can't forgive. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise for all of us. But sometimes our sin, even though we sin, it has consequences. Look at what happened, verse 14. It's a tragic word in the Bible. Even though he's forgiven, it says nevertheless. Nevertheless, because you've shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. In other words, he defied God's standard of morality. By doing this, your child will die. Sin can be forgiven but still have consequences and prayers may not change it. Let me show you how David prayed. Verse 15, I don't like this passage. It troubles me. The Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. This was an innocent child. This child didn't do anything wrong. But this, this was still a child, and this child died. Now, this child went to heaven, but he missed a potential life because of his daddy's sin. The Lord sent this deadly illness. Now, look at verse 16. What did David do? David, he prayed. David prayed to God for the baby. The next phrase says David fasted. In other words, he abstained from food. He abstained from pleasures. He didn't watch TV. He didn't go turn the movie on. He didn't have fun. He didn't bring in a court minstrel. He fasted. He went into his house, and he stayed there lying on the ground all night. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to sleep in a comfortable bed. How many can say praise the Lord for that? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll move and I'll turn. This guy is just laying on the hard floor, and he's crying out to God. He's humbling himself. Well, he did this for a week. Now, I don't know about you, but over a week period of time, just to lay on your face before God, not to eat, to cry out to God, to sacrifice, to literally beg God, for lack of a better word, because he realized it was his fault. He lied on the ground all night, but on the seventh day, verse 18, the child died. Now, this is where many people walk away from God. This is where, because they have so intently prayed, it might not have been because of their sin, whatever, but they just don't know why, but the answer didn't come. Grandma's in the hospital, has nothing to do with sin. Grandma's getting older, but grandma dies. I know people that have walked away from God because God didn't answer a prayer like that. 
Well, this is, requires faith to keep believing, even though the answers have not come the way we wanted to. Verse 20, David did this. He got up from the ground, and notice what he did. He went to the tabernacle, and he worshipped the Lord. David didn't worship because he was happy. David worshipped, as we did earlier, because God is worthy. And a lot of times our worship is conditioned on what God does for us. But for David, it was because of the worthiness of God. Now here's, yeah, here's where the story ends, verse 24. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. And the Bible says the Lord loved the child. And in his name, literally, that's what it means. The Lord loves this child. Now, you know your Bible, Solomon went on to become the king. Solomon and David, listen, they ended up in the, uh, in the uh, genealogy of Jesus Christ. So this gives us hope that no matter, in spite of our sin, God can still restore our life. But what I want to tell you is sin brings judgment. And most of the time, judgment is averted uh, because of forgiveness. But sometimes consequences come. And let me give you a New Testament verse that underscores this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. And justice is regarding our sin. You always harvest what you plant. Many translations says you reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature, think of David and his affair, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life. Listen, I say this to you, friends. If not for our sake alone, for the sake of people that we love and care about, we should run far from sin and not let it control us. It was, my heart has been grieving this week. I, I, I knew the man in the paper who was sentenced this week to 100 years in prison because he'd molested the little friends of his daughters. I know him. Our society promotes pornography. Our society has a dark web, a dark underworld where child pornography is everywhere. You think of the story of the Epsteins and that came out and he gets suddenly killed in a jail cell and you don't hear much about that anymore. But it's all out there in the world and our society is promoting it and somehow it grabbed him and he said yes to it. And he went after the little girls that his daughters had brought home to spend the night. You say, well, how horrible, how bad. It is horrible and bad for him. The rest of his life is lived behind bars. Can I tell you, sin has consequences. But it's not just horrible for him. It's horrible for his little girls that will never see daddy at Christmas time, that will never have daddy's hug at Christmas time, or never on a birthday. Are you with me today? Sin has consequences. And I say it today because if it was, bad, if it was tough on David, a man's after God's own heart, it can be tough on us. And sometimes prayers won't undo it. Come on, give the Lord an oh me or an oh my, but it's true. Here's a fourth one. Now, this is a good one. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we quit praying too soon. In other words, because we give up. Now, I don't know about you, but I have fallen into this trap that when I want popcorn at home, I don't take the time to get a pot and pour in oil and put in individual seeds. I have fallen into this trap. The hardest thing for me to do is in the darkness of the night to find the, 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 the button on the microwave that says popcorn. That's the hardest part of the process for me. But other than that, it just that's the world that we live in today. But prayer is not like that. Prayer is often like a crock pot. 
the best ribs I've ever eaten in my life were cooked not just an hour or two or boiled in water, but the best ribs I've ever eaten in my life were cooked over a 24-hour period on low temperature. This is what prayer is like. Let me read you Luke 18. Now, I read this passage to you a few weeks ago, but it's probably the best in the Bible, so I'm going to read it again. uh, Jesus is going to make a good point from a bad example. In other words, he's going to show a bad judge, and he's going to flip it over and say, God's not like that, but the principle of perseverance is still real. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Verse 3, a widow came to the judge repeatedly. And that's the word. I mark up, I mark my Bible. And that's one I would mark. She came repeatedly and says, give me justice in this dispute from my enemy. And remember, widows had no rights in their day. If they didn't have children, husband was died, they were in bad, bad shape. Well, the judge ignores her for a while. Maybe it was the judge's buddy. But finally, he said to himself, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Here's the deal, repeatedly, constant requests. And then the Lord said, here's where the Lord's going to flip it, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. In other words, he's a bad guy and he's nothing like me. But even this, the judge rendered a just decision in the end. Now here's God. Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Now, this is hard to do. I live in a world that if I have a headache, I want to take a Tylenol, I want it to go away. I want popcorn, I want it right now. If I don't want to, listen, stores are delivering. I saw on the TV the other day that now Ace Hardware delivers. You know, I mean, everybody wants it. You, 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 you don't even have to go to the store anymore. We need to kind of get away from Amazon. Come on, the retailers in our town, if they got it, we need to buy it there. But it is just too easy to do this, and this is our world. But prayer doesn't work that way. Those who cry out day and night, and he asked the question, will the Lord keep putting them off? And it's almost as if he says, no, verse 8, I tell you he's going to grant justice to them quickly. But he asked this big question, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith, who simply believe God and continue pressing in until the answer comes? If you remember some of your old medieval movies, maybe even Robin Hood or some of that genre, where if it, was a, if it was a wooden fort, how literally they would take a battering ram and they would batter the door of that fort. That fort might be surrounded by little logs in place, but that battering ram would just knock against the door until the door opened. And sometimes prayer takes that because of the spiritual opposition holding the answer back. Now let me illustrate it. Have you ever, have you ever heard of a man named George Mueller? Well, he, his ministry started in 1836. He lived in England, and uh, here's a picture of George. A uh, fair-looking fellow there. Uh, he was a Christian evangelist, but what he's really known for is for starting orphanages. George Mueller helped, listen to this now, 10,000 orphans in his life. He fed them, he clothed them, he gave them a place to stay, and he educated them. He would start schools to educate them. Now, that's a huge deal. But he didn't do it because he had an endowment. Listen, his whole ministry was based on prayer. Now I want you to listen to these words of this father in the faith. Uh, Mueller had over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer in his journals. He would write down his prayer in his journals. It went on to say that 30-some thousand were answered the very day that he prayed. 
It was said of him that he did not ask people and do solicitations for money to provide for these orphanages. He wouldn't ask people for food or money. He would get on his knees and he would ask God, and God would supernaturally move on the hearts of people. Now listen to what he said. This, this is, I wish I had this on the screen, but I don't. He said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk. I pray when I lie down. And I pray when I rise up. I got to confess, I don't do that often enough. Now, I'm consistent. I read my Bible and I pray in the morning. And I pray over, uh, I pray over my food when I eat. And if something comes up in the day, I'll pray. But I'm not real deliberate like George was. Maybe this is the secret. You know, you talk about praying over meals. Uh, my two-year-old, now how many know it's hard to get a two-year-old to pray? It is particularly hard when food is in front of him. And this is the kind of how the prayer works at the Miller house when he's there. Henry, put your hands together, and it's usually my hand over his. Jesus, thank you for my food. I love you. Amen. And that's about what you get because he's ready to eat. Well, those prayers are easy, but it's living in this spirit of prayer. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. It's like the railroad track. We're living close to God. Listen to this. He said, when once I'm per persuaded a thing is right, in other words, that I'm praying the will of God, the railroad track. I know I'm, I'm abiding in the vine. He said, I go on praying for it until the end comes. I never give up. He said, I've been praying. Now, this is pretty amazing. He said, I've been praying every day for years for two men, sons of a friend of my youth. They're not converted yet, but he wrote in his journal, they will be. And then he says, after 35 years of prayer, the one friend was saved. 35 years and then in his journals, he leaps ahead. He said, I've been praying for the other man 63 years and eight months for his conversion. He writes, he's not saved yet, but he will be. And can I tell you this? He got saved at Mueller's funeral. Now, I want to tell you, friends, our prayers have power that has a residual effect. And I'll close his thought with this. He says, the great fault of the children of God, that's us, is that they don't continue in prayer. They don't persevere. He said, if they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. And isn't that what the Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5? Never stop praying. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, this last one is going to make you scratch your head a little bit. And i got to say, I wish this wasn't in the Bible. But this is a good one. This will help you make sense of some things. Some prayers are not answered because the unmet need makes us depend on God more. Now, let me tell you what I want in my life. I want security. I want certainty. I want independence. I don't want any problems. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to have struggles. I don't want to have tribulation. I want to have a perfect life. And I've got to be honest with you, I pray a lot for things like that. How many are honest enough to say I do too? Now, the rest of you liars, I, we're going to have a little confessional after church today. We're going to have you come one by one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear your confession. No, listen, that's subconsciously. It's just how we, how we do. But I want to read something to you about a man who didn't have a prayer answered. And because of that, there was a difficulty in his life. But what he found out is he was a better Christian because of that difficulty. Stay with me on this one now. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. It says, I know a man in Christ. Now, Paul is writing this. 
I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This man was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about himself. But he wouldn't even use his name here. Now, I want you to think about the humility behind this. Paradise in the Bible or the third heaven are synonymous places. The Bible teaches that when it uses the phrase heaven, it's talking about three different realms. One realm is the sky. When you look up at the sky, you see the heavens. Another word for heavens refers to the known universe. In other words, everything that the Hubble can see out there and beyond. But the third heaven is a place where God lives. The third heaven, Jesus called it paradise. It's the place where Christ is now. It's the place where the spirits of Christians that have died, they're with the Lord. That's where they are in the third heaven. So literally what Paul is saying, he had an out of the body. He said he didn't know if it was in the body or out. So he had a, an experience that was valid and real when he went to this third heaven. Now verse 5, he said, I'll boast about a man like that, but I won't boast about myself. Except, and it's the strangest thing, except about my weaknesses. Why would you boast when you're helpless? Why would you boast when you are in lack or in need? Well, this is what he's saying. Now, verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, how many know con being conceited is being prideful? And how many know the Bible teaches that pride goes before fall? So to keep me from becoming proud, this guy that had gone to heaven, listen, today he would be on every Christian television show, every Christian newspaper, every Christian podcast. I mean, he would be promoted big time. Notice this most confusing phrase. He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh. I was given a thorn in my flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, what was that thorn? Well, he didn't tell us. But I want to suggest to you, there's a good case that can be made in the Bible that he had eye problems. Remember other scriptures that said, Paul said, you would pluck out your eyes and give them to me. You love me so much. Other, uh, when he closed one of his books, he said, I wrote this in my own handwriting. See the big letters that I used. So if we could just imagine a moment. Here's this guy. Now, you know, when Paul goes in places, they try to arrest him. They stone him. He's beaten with rods. And if anyone has bad eyesight, you fully understand what it's like. Uh, I, I missed a turkey a number of years ago because I couldn't see far enough away, so I got some glasses that would make me 20-10. I mean, you want to see. And if you don't have glasses, you know what it's like. You can't enjoy a ball game or you can't see up close. If this was his dilemma, imagine the potential for fear that people were going to be out to get him. But now let's go back. A thorn in the flesh to torment me. Now look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. What is that? It's prayer. Three times I prayed and asked God to take it away from me. God's answer was very unusual. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace means my enablement, my capacity to help you, something that's from the outside that's bigger than you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in human weakness. The power of God is made perfect when people are not at their strongest point. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast about my weaknesses. What's he saying? If it was an eye problem, he said, I don't know that I want to say it this way, but I don't know how else to say it. I'm glad I have an eye problem. 
so Christ's power may rest on me. And that's why, for Christ's sake, listen, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, because all these make me weak. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And where does the strength come from? It comes from God. Now, you know, cessationists would like to cut out the supernatural from the Bible. I would like to cut this out from the Bible. I would rather, listen, I don't... I, like, I don't like problems. I want life to be easier. I don't like to be in need. I don't like to have weakness. I don't like difficult things. But it makes me depend on God more. And that's a good thing. Some prayers are not answered. Because an unmet need makes us depend on God more. I have wondered... Um, I have not felt normal for five years. After Linnell's cancer, I guess, you know, PTSD kind of thing, the doctor said it was, he he didn't really know, so he just said it was an anxiety disorder. I have struggles sometimes coming to the pulpit. I have struggles sometimes leaving my house, but I go anyway. I have struggles... When all that craziness was going on in my life, I passed out in a restaurant twice for no reason. Pastor Mike had to come get me and take me home one day. Just after church, I'm sitting in a restaurant. Well, they couldn't explain it, but it happened. And it created something in me that makes me just want to just go somewhere and just sit down and hide. But the problem, it's there when I'm hiding. But let me tell you what all that did for me. I had, I had a, a doctor, uh, and she told me, she said, maybe this is your thorn in the flesh. I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> listen, to this, uh, listen, when you pray for me, I want you to pray that I'd be delivered from that. But maybe the aspect, at least for the period of time it's been, it has been a thorn. Because I want to tell you, friends, I depend on God today like I never have in my life. When you were young, when you were healthy, When you have money, you can live like you don't need God. But the Bible says, in Christ we live and move and have our being. And sometimes it takes human weakness to realize our great need for God. I want to close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, in this same logic, this this happened to Paul somewhat frequently. Paul said this, we don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now I want to tell you this, there is a theology that's taught in Christian circles that if I have enough faith and believe God, I won't have any troubles. But Jesus himself said, in this world you'll have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Trouble is in the world. Paul said, I had so much trouble in Asia, we were under great pressure, listen to this, Beyond our ability to endure. What is that? That's weakness. uh, And we thought we'd never live through it. In other words, he thought he was going to die. But now verse 9, this has become a life verse for me. He said, this happened so we might not rely on ourselves. This experience happened so I wouldn't trust in myself. This experience happened to me so I wouldn't depend on myself, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And listen to his faith. He will deliver us again. On him, God, 
we have set our hope. He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Here's that second railroad track. There's something there, friends, that can bring us to a new dimension in life. But if our prayer is on the shallow, immature end that just prays, prays, and prays that the answer comes just the way we want it, and if it doesn't come, I get mad and pout, you'll miss it. Because you can find God in some circumstances. And this all just fits in the pot together. Remember, Jesus said, listen, if you pray believing, you'll receive. I want want this series to have strengthened your faith in prayer. I want you to believe like never before that God is a prayer answering God. If I am praying in his will, if I'm praying in persistently, if I don't give up, listen, that prayer will be answered if I don't quit. But there's some reasons why. And these we talked about today, why some prayers aren't answered. And I'll close with this. We're not praying God's will. We lack faith. It could be the consequence for our sin like David. We quit praying too soon. Or lastly, it's a benefit. The unmet need makes us depend on God more. Listen, friend, my hope for you is the same as the hope for me, that I'll be like George Mueller and I'll pray until the answer comes. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? I appreciate you you being here this morning. If you don't have to run out the door, let me encourage you. We've got donuts and, um, well, they have calories in them, so I'm not going to lie from the pulpit. But we have donuts in the cafe. There's some fruit, coffee, just kind of hang out and meet some people. We've got a Bible class that meets at 1045 in the Connect Room. Great way. If you're a new person here, let me encourage you to go by our Connect Room. It's right across the hallway. Pick up a little information. They've got a little gift bag. But before you turn it off today, I'm going to ask you today, what are you going to do about what you've heard? What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Because here's what I know. There's always a voice within the voice. We invited God to come and speak to us. And I must believe if you had ears to hear that God was speaking to you about things in life. I want you to just bow your head just a moment. And if anything is at the forefront of your mind right now, I just want you to take a moment and talk to God about it. Maybe if you quit praying too quickly. Maybe you need to ask God to help you have faith like George Mueller. Maybe when we talked about that sin thing and how it affected not only David, but it affected his child. Maybe the Holy Spirit put his finger on something and you need to pray right now for grace to overcome that thing before it overcomes you. Maybe there's a thorn in your flesh and you've been fighting it. Maybe you need to find a new path to strength. Maybe you're like me and you live in that popcorn world. And I want it right now. But enduring faith is the ticket. Maybe you're grappling right now and you don't know what God's will is in something. But Jesus said, if you abide in me like a branch in the vine, you'll bear fruit and you'll know what God's will is. Why don't you just slip your hands to heaven and say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome in my life today in a fresh, brand new way. 
I, I want you to picture in your mind a ladder, almost like you climbing up spiritually. And just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I want to go to a higher level in prayer. I want to be just a little bit like George Mueller. I want to know God's will and I want to have tenacity. I want to be running parallel with you. Maybe that's why God answered so many of his prayers because of what he, he was doing God's will for the orphanage. And we just say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Let us live in the spirit of prayer like George Mueller did, not just in the morning but throughout the day. Welcome. Here's how we're going to close today. We're going to have our prayer team come to the front. They'd like to pray personally for an individual need you might have. There's just something biblical, precious, and powerful when a faith-filled believer takes somebody by the hand and says, let's pray. And I want to encourage you, if you've got something big in your life, a problem, a struggle, a need, you and your life, someone you care about, let's, let, let somebody pray with you before you go today. There'll be men and women here that are anxious to do that. But perhaps even more importantly, maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, my great need is to get right with God. Pastor, what I need is a real relationship with God. If I could share from my own life just a moment. When I was, I was raised in church, Mom taught, made me go. I'm glad Mom made me. But I didn't have a relationship with God. But I knew that God was real. And I, and I knew that you could pray. And I remember this one time, I was 19. I'd been out. I was worldly. I wasn't living for Christ. I had been partying all night. And I was coming home. And it was, a, it was a, a flooding in that time of the year. And the water was almost up to this long river bottom bridge. And I was a little scared to drive across it because I knew the water was real deep and I probably shouldn't have been driving. But I pulled over the side of the road and I prayed, God, help me get home safe. And you know what he did? But as soon as I got home, I put him back on the shelf until I needed him again. Well, what I found is that God wants a relationship with us every day. He wants to be a father to us. And we're his child. If I could give you this picture, if the cross represents what Jesus did, and, and Jesus literally, historically verified, he died on the cross for a very specific reason. He paid, he paid for our sins. He was a substitute. He gave his life so we wouldn't have to die eternally. He died so my sins could be forgiven, and I wouldn't go to hell, but I'd go to heaven. But just because he did that 2,000 years ago, if I'm walking away from him, it has no meaning in my life. To have a relationship with God, you literally, if I can say this, have to turn to the Christ of the cross. Ask for his forgiveness and commit your life to follow him. Invite him to come in your life as your Lord and Savior. That happened to me on August 15, 1976. I've been living for Jesus ever since. And if you feel right now that, like I'm talking directly to you, let me suggest again, it's the voice within the voice. It's God's Holy Spirit calling you to start walking with God. And if you're here today and you want to make that step, we'd be honored to pray with you. If it's the first time you've made a step to Christ or maybe you got away and you want to come back, this is your day. And what we're going to do, they're going to start playing our last song. They'll play it through one time and dismiss. But when they start praying, our prayer team's coming to the front. And they're here, they'll be pray with anyone about anything. But if you want to get your life right with Christ, you want to start a fresh relationship, I'm going to invite you to slip over to the cross because the cross is the place where people will pray with you as you make the greatest step of your life. Let's go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. I want our prayer team to make their way to the front right now. These men and women are here for you. 
believing God for a miracle in your life, whatever your need may be. But if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming today.